0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
1: We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. That no idea grows from mewling striped gum to teeth in your thrown tiger without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jaren Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. Oh, it's been quite a while, I know, for which I apologize. The winter was rather unkind to my own. I even set a new personal record for bronchitis. But now it's warm again and sunny outside, and we have a good number of guests for the season line, the first of which, Andre Rodriguez, you'll hear tonight. I hope you enjoy. Hi all, I'm your host, Jared Surf, and this is Hubie Tigers, the only podcast show where we take life by the tail. Here with me today is Andre Rodriguez, a digital modeler at Blue Sky Studios, previously DreamWorks, and a panelist on Diverse Tunes. Does that cover everything where you're at right now?
2: I, I believe so, and uh, thank you for having me on the show. It's
1: a delight. You know, when I first had a conversation with Jade about the panel, you were the first person she recommended.
2: Oh, wow. And uh, why is that? Why does she have the first person?
1: She said you have, it's not just the compelling story, but that you had a great way of presenting to people the purpose, the means, and the desire that drive diverse tunes, why it's so necessary as a platform, and why you decided to form it this year. Also, just that I think you, because you're so outspoken, if anybody's going to make sure the point comes across, it would be you.
2: Yeah, sometimes that can be a curse as well as <laughs> a gift. <laughs> but, but I figured, you know. Um, my uh, my mother told me growing up. She said, "People are always going to find excuses to hate you. Don't give them any help by hating yourself. Do what the hell you do what the hell you want to do in life." And so I did. I ever like it. Ever since I heard it, yeah. Basically, told me, "Uh, you know, you'll 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 run into the people that are gonna that are gonna support you and be there for you, and then don't worry about the rest of the people." You know.
1: So I know in previous conversations you were incredibly upfront with the idea that this whole notion of pulling yourself by the bootstraps, this illusion of the self-made man is just that, that we don't reach the point in our career of success of being self-sustaining quote unquote without so much help on the way.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I take, when I look at my own life and, um, and I, and I kind of, uh, look at the, the various situations that I've been in in the times that I've learned things and the times that I've had epiphanies, there's always been somebody right there, given their time, given their understanding, you know, giving something to me that then I took and did something with Mm -hmm. I've never, I can't think of any significant moment in my life where things just came to me from my own accord. That's, that is just utter nonsense. From the time I was born to the, to the time I started working at Blue Sky. When I started working at Blue Sky, even though my reel was ready to present to them, Mm -hmm. it was, it was a guy that used to work at Blue Sky who told me what to put on my reel. He told me how to present my reel. And then he made a call to Blue Sky and said, look, at this guy's reel. So, yeah, that whole bootstrapping is, is, is a bunch of nonsense to me. It's, it's all self-deification. To, to justify doing what you want to do in life, you know, depending on what it is that you want to do, some people might, you know, want to take, take things further than what another person will do. But a lot of times people would justify it saying, well, I've earned my way to this point, so I get to do what I want to do. Because I've earned this on my own, which is just, it's and, not true. And
1: it's so weird because it denies your origins.
2: Exactly. And, I'm, and I'll never do that. I'm not, that. For, yeah, I, for me to say that I did it all on my own, I'm, I'm spitting in my mother's face, I'm spitting in my father's face, all my friends, my mentors, my teachers, and I'm not going to do that.
1: I think one of the most early salient points in our, our first conversation, I believe it was, you said to me, as your mother said to you, you wouldn't be here if I hadn't given birth to you and fed you daily.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And and, I, and a lot of my, a lot of the stuff she taught me through our various conversations when I was growing up, I still use today. So yeah, it's just, <laughs> I don't, yeah, the, the bootstrap thing, I don't, I don't, and, and I don't like the term self-made either. I'm not self-made. I'm a bunch of different people's understanding and love and wisdom all combined into the, into this one body, you know?
1: Oh, it's a. I was rereading a. It was an interview or a conversation with Viktor Frankl, was a noted philosopher, Holocaust survivor, and an existentialist who spent his life trying to give purpose to what he had survived. And all, for all of those reasons, you would think because of what he'd endured, of what he would suffered, what he'd witnessed, this man would have no faith and hope in the future of humanity. Yet here he is in this conversation, quoting Goethe, saying, "Now, mind you, this is a man who, after having." Survive the Holocaust is famous for saying the following phrase, the best of us did not survive. Not just the noblest, the kindlest, the altruist, or the self-sacrificing, but that, was which, that which was best in us. That we, our own good intentions died in an effort to endure what we, we went through. Take the same man now as he is teaching and talking to the next generations, and he's quoting Goethe saying, if we take man as he is, we make him worse. But if we take him as we should be, we make, able, we make him capable of becoming what he can be.
2: Absolutely. I, be- I believe that, and um, a lot of times, you know, when I'm when I, through my through my journey through this uh through the animation industry, I mean we can go back before that, but just taking the an- animation industry, um, when I was working at at DreamWorks, and a lot of times, you know, I was in, I was whether it be facilities because I started in facilities and I worked my way up to an artist position. Mm-hmm. It took about four and a half years, but no matter what position I was in. I always looked at the position, I looked at every position the same as to say that this position was entrusted to me to do what I will with it. Hmm. So I didn't look at the facility's job was any, was any worse or better than the modeling job. They're all the same because it's, it's me bringing, bringing my integrity to the, to the position that makes it what it is, you know? And I think that's in the same, that's in the same kind of vein as what um, uh, what was named Victor. Victor Frankel.
1: So in other words, you don't grow to fit the job, you grow the job to fit you.
2: Exactly. Yeah. No matter what job I'm in, I'm going to, I'm going to bring 110% every time because that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And if I do that, then I'll, then I will elevate, I will elevate that position and leave it in a, in a positive state for the next person that's coming in. You know, there was a, um, there was an art director one time I was hanging some, I was an art PA for a while
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and I was hanging some pictures. And when I hang, when I hang artwork on the art boards for the meetings, I use rulers and everything. I hang everything perfectly straight. (laughs) And this, this this art director came by, and um, he said, "Andre, what are you doing?" And I said, "I'm getting these boards ready for you know the art review meeting that we have." Mm-hmm. And he said, "Man, I don't think you have to go through all that for you know for um you know to, to make to make them all look presentable or whatever." And I said, uh, "Well, you know, I like to I like to put everything into into what I do." And he said, "Well, you know, it's not it's not a big deal." I said, "Well, how did I say it?" I told him, um, "I said I'm not I'm not proud." I'm not proud of what I do. I'm proud of who I am. And mm. it shows in everything I do. Mm. And he stopped and said, whoa. He said, okay. <laughs> and then he, he smiled and walked away. But yeah, I try, to, I try to do. So any position I do, I make sure that since I'm proud of who I am and who I've become, I need to show that in everything that I do.
1: So when you're working on the modeling itself, that you are creating the objects that we see in a film, in a movie, in a show, the 3D renders that make that world come to life, that give it a body.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um, Visual development, it starts with uh, story and visual development. So visual development designs the look of the film and they design everything that you see on screen, whether it be characters, vehicles, buildings, trees, whatever it is. We have to take those 2D images and interpret them in 3D space,
0: Hmm.
2: right? So in a virtual world where you have X, Y, Z, right, forward, back, left, right, up and down. So we have this three D space and so if they give me for instance, I did the tree on Ferdinand, Ferdinand's tree that he would sit under. Oh right. So I, I built that tree from a few sketches that were done by mm-hmm. um, by one of the visual development um, designers. So once I got once I got the the drawing and I built the tree, I did a rough and then the art director would come by, he would look at the rough, we'd orbit around around the tree looking at it, then we'd look at it through the cameras. That we had established for for particular mm-hmm. shots, and we had to just kind of we had to just kind of massage the design until it got to a point where it fit in 3D space. It still it still has the same look and the same shape language as the artwork that as the artwork that I was given, mm-hmm. but it also can exist in a 3D in a 3D space now. In other know?
1: words, part of your work there is to make the world we see seem real. It can't just fit the shot.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, it, for instance, it would be. A good example would be if you were to, if I was to build a Rubik's cube, it looks the same from every side.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's a cube. But if you take a tree, a tree has a certain look to it. A weeping willow looks different from a redwood, looks different from a birch. They have these elements to them that make them look like them. And so I have to make sure I get the shot that we want, but at the same time keeping the tree looking like what it's supposed to look like from every angle. So it's a real, it's a fine, it's a fine kind of balance between art. And 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 bringing in some real world, right? Because reference.
1: you're you're playing with ideas and representation. What yeah? What conveys the idea of tree of this kind of tree? What shapes exactly. evoke that? What movement suggest that? Even if it's not a perfect or, you know, and in some ways it doesn't even have to be a a hundred percent real to a human eye rendering of a willow tree. It just has to say to our mind and what we pull from that, this is that kind of tree. We'll fill in the detail.
2: Exactly. And a lot of times um, with the artist, the artists will do, they'll give us a sketch and then we take the sketch and take it further. Mm. And then we have to go and look at references of, of trees and have to look at different types of trees. And they'll say, okay, this tree right here is good for the reference to start with. Here's the artwork. Bring those two together. And then we had Ferdinand's tree finished.
1: It was, I think, like in the early days of the of the work production for The Lion King, where they sent them out on observation in Africa to watch the lions and then had to take the body motions of the animals and then, for instance, like with Jeremy Irons, find a way to meld the physicality of the lion with the way his face would work. Yeah. So it would sound and feel like him, and the face would move in a way that evokes Jeremy Irons, but also as a lion.
2: Exactly. And sometimes... And sometimes when you're when you're working on depending on what project you're working on, for instance, in Ferdinand, um, the the bullfighter had a car, this mm-hmm. like red sports car that he drove up. He drove up in um, in a scene. He arrived in this sports car. So I had to build that, and that car doesn't actually exist, <laughs> right? So so the so the art director gave me three different cars, three different styles of cars, and said, these are the cars that you need to reference to make this. And then they gave me the actual artwork of the car that was invented for this for this character, and so I had to find a happy. And it worked in 2D. It worked from front view, side view, top view. But then when I started building this thing in 3D, I said, okay, I have to make these things work. But in real life, they wouldn't work. You mm. know? Did you did you it actually could,
1: build the engine and the and the under rigging and everything too?
2: Not the engine. I had to build. I built the 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 cab where you sit in, mm-hmm. and then the body of the car. The wheels were were. Um, vintage spoke wheels. So <laughs> I, I had to do all that. that stuff. Yeah, I had to do that. And then um the I had to build the emblem. The emblem was was uh, unique to that to that design. Mm-hmm. And it was a mixture of different cars where it just wouldn't make sense in the real world, but I had to make it make sense for this film. Because and in this was, world was the,
1: that was a logical conclusion of where things have been.
2: Well it was it was working with the style yeah. of the film. And so the art director, when they, when they finish designing the car, because they just want something to look good, yep. right? They said, this looks this, look, this look great. It fits <laughs> the character. It fits the movie. Now, Andre, you have to make this work in 3D. And that's where that's where my problem-solving skills have to come in, basically.
1: In the make it work.
2: Yes, exactly. And it was a back-and-forth thing. It was, uh, i gotten this far. How's the shape look at the body? They'll come by. They'll say, this looks pretty good. Let's make this a little wider, make this a little bit more narrow. I like what this looks like. Matter of fact... Send me. They'll say, "Send me some screen grabs. I want to sketch over those screen grabs." Now we're deviating from the artwork and getting to something more practical, mm-hmm. but still has still has the same vibe that came from the artwork.
1: So it's you it's know? not a linear process. You're able to inform how the actual object they want to see moves in the world.
2: Oh yeah, Just absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah it's a lot of time. Uh, like characters, for instance, characters are. The, it's the art department, the modeling department, materials that paints everything, right? Mm -hmm. And then rigging, the person that would rig, um, the, the character to move. We're all working together to make the character work, right? So I might talk to, I might talk to materials about something that deals with what the, what the color of their eyes are going to look like or what the skin is going to look like. And then at the same time, rigging is letting me know we need to, we need some more. Tessellation in this part of the model, so we can get better deformation. And then art, and then art might say, "Oh, we got a change in the design, so now you have to redesign it. You have to remodel it." So it's a, yeah, it's a it's a it's a back and forth. It's a, it's a serious collaboration. It's fun.
1: Do you ever feel like you're going to work to have Do you do Legos by committee?
2: Um, it's different. It's different on different days. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's very linear, right? And I get a, I get a piece of artwork, I make the model, and I send it on the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And then other times it's it's collaborative where that where we're having multiple meetings hmm. to, to get something done. So it could be any it could, it could be it can go either way any day, which is cool. It keeps it exciting.
1: What so far has been your favorite project?
2: Um hmm. Wow, put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Obviously, <laughs> you know, depending on who you have to please tomorrow, you can change your answer, but
2: Okay, I have I have <laughs> I have two I have two for two different reasons. Okay first one is how to Train your dragon because because that's the film when i went from being a pa to being a modeler
0: mm.
2: that that was the start of my of my modeling career that was that moment is that was my first credit as a modeler on film so that for that reason alone i i love the film too it's a milestone it's a good film yeah yeah it's a it's, a, it's an amazing film so i love working work on it, but also that's where that's where i became a modeler um, a professional modeler in the, in the industry and then most recently the film the film that's going to be coming out Spies in the Skies I worked on I worked on a um, particular model that's in the that's in the trailer that just came out okay. It's this drone thing that that's chasing Lance Lance jumps out this window and the drone is chasing him so I got to model that from scratch from the start from the design to what we have now Oh fun and And yeah, and, and I've been designing this thing for, I think a year and a half now. I've been working, I've been working back and forth on it because they've been changing things. They've been making it more complex. And I also, when you see it on screen, a lot of me is in that because they only went so far with the artwork. And then once they went, once they got to a certain point with the artwork, they said, now we have to start seeing things in 3D. And so I said, Hey, if you give me, if you give me some, you know, some elbow room and let me, um, put in, put in here what I think would work then i think we can get to where we want to go and um and the the art director said do your thing Andre, however you want to do it and i just started make i started making things in certain ways on this model and, and i got to put a a simple rig into it to show people how it would move and how it would emote mm-hmm. and yeah that, that so so this film is one of my favorite films for that reason that i i never got to do that under another project, this is the first time.
1: It's an interesting choice of words there. You said emote. Do you find you, that part of your job is taking objects and making them into characters?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually um my, my favorite thing which is which is funny about the whole drone thing, my favorite thing is mechanical stuff that, that is alive. Hmm. You know, that that has a that has a personality to it. So for instance, the uh, the blue sky movie Robots. That's my favorite blue sky movie. Mm-hmm. Because it's just a bunch of it's a bunch of metal pieces put together, but they become characters, and they're they're just cool. It's just like the old the old school um, Stephen King. I think it's Stephen King. Maximum Overdrive.
1: Oh God, yeah. Or, yeah
2: uh, or
1: Or batteries not included.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Seeing 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 machines come to life is just I don't know. It's cool to me. I I love I love uh, mechanical and industrial stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um, and yeah. So the fact that I started with that sketch the fact that i um started with that sketch of the of the drone and they allowed me to figure out how this thing would move and and open up and transform oh yeah that was just man one of my favorite one of my favorite times in, in my career so far
1: i'm curious if you were to recreate your home from childhood as a scene in a movie what would you show or choose to highlight wow Whew
2: if I can recreate my hometown as a scene in a movie. So do you want to see from a movie that I've seen, or do you want me to?
1: If, if it's take? helpful to situate it in the idea or the sensibilities of, a, of one you've seen, or if it's, or if you'd rather just create it from what you would show, if you had full creative control, you can take it from whichever angle it makes more sense to you.
2: Hmm. Wow.
1: Or do both. It's your choice.
2: Uh, if I was to pick, if I was to pick one, like, uh, uh, I would say one movie that I that I would like to have, like, if my town could emulate that, would be Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Really? Yeah, because in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, there was no big issues. Like, I had serious issues growing up. <laughs> <was> just, they <laughs> oh, so just, that's the fantasy. They were just having, they were just having fun, and the issues they had were pretty small compared <laughs> to the stuff that you know that I dealt with growing up like mm-hmm. fast. I love that movie, by the way, fast times is my high is one of my favorite films. So it would be it would be something something like that, where high school could just be, you know, small problems, but mostly fun, mm-hmm. mostly, you know, trying to trying to find your way through life, and not having, um, not being condemned for making mistakes, not but, suffering
1: you know, adult fears and consequences when you're still a child.
2: Exactly. You know, it's it's like the parents shake their, shake their head at you and they say, "Oh, Andre," and, and that's it. But <laughs> go back my, to my it... or, yeah, my upbringing wasn't like that though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll get into that. So,
2: but uh, but yeah, that, I think Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, that's the first thing that popped into my head. Okay, so much.
1: let's put your let's put your your hometown in Fast Times of Richmond High. What mm-hmm. what buildings stand out to you? What objects stand out to you? What becomes a character that you would want to animate or create?
2: Hmm, for my town? Yeah. Uh, my art teacher. Okay. My art teacher, and uh, as far as, as far as, like, a structure in the town, um, it would be, um, Hot Dog Junction.
1: <laughs> okay, walk me through this.
2: Okay, so Hot Dog Junction was, um, it was a place where, you know, all the kids went for lunch, and they would go for, like, after school, you know, they'd go for, for, for like, an early dinner. Mm-hmm. My mom would always send me there to get, to get the nachos, because everything that was there was made from scratch. Oh, everything was made from scratch um alan and and her husband uh-huh. owned own the place you know mom and pop shop all the workers there were were people that were in high school right except for alan and her husband and um yeah it was just where all the kids would go and you were okay there you know what i mean like everybody respected alan everybody respected her establishment so when you're there you're okay. No matter what you're going through in life, that was kind of a safe space for us.
1: The, this almost becomes a movie in my head now as you're describing the space. I can see the character of it. You have your main character who's at the high school. You have other people you're following and tracking throughout the day, maybe the art teacher, maybe some other folks. But they all arrive at this location as that conversion from school time and work time to let's go meet here, let's go eat, let's all be in this one place and be,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: just be happy and content here.
2: It, it was, was it? yes, exactly. The The one thing that is different though is that a lot of times, the adults would go in there. It was just the kids. Hmm. Every now and again, you see an adult come in to pick up their kids or something like that. But for the most part, it was just the kids that were there. And um and I think Alan fashioned it that way because she wanted to have a safe space for all the kids where they can go and just, you know, have fun, eat, eat nachos and eat chili dogs and stuff. And and not worry about the uh, the worries of the world and, you know, not worry about homework and all that kind of stuff.
1: I still remember in my hometown, when we had that change from being allowed out in the parks and the streets after night, having a curfew.
2: Yeah, that was kind of weird because my, my mother, um, she didn't worry too much like that. You know, she would always say, you know, come home before the lights you know, get yeah. home before the lights, come on. But then after the lights came on, it was okay for me to go back outside. She just wanted to make sure I was okay. Yeah. And then I would go back outside and, and, you know, go, uh, play with my friends, ride bikes or whatever, skateboards. And yeah, she didn't worry too much.
1: Yeah, no, it was a, uh, cause I remember we'd be out, you come home, you wash up, you get dinner, you run right back out. And then somewhere by my teenage years, I remember we'd be at a park and the cops would roll around and they'd give us a look. And if they rolled around a second time, they would tell us to leave. Mm-hmm. And it was this moment of where can we go? We're not old enough to be anywhere else where we could be as a hangout in the community. And you've created no space for us. That yeah. isn't our. You know, this isn't our home and some of my friends didn't you know have a great home life so being out with us was more enjoyable for them
2: Yeah, i had a, I had a, uh, a few friends uh, that were like that definitely they didn't want to go home
1: or if they did it was to someone else's home for someone else's dinner and stay over there for as long as they could before they had to go home
2: yeah a few times there's, there's a handful of times where my friends would come over and, and eat at my house and my mom wouldn't you know she'd be fine with it you know she she talked she talked a little bit talked a little bit of a <laughs> bit of, of, of smack you know boy why aren't you at home mm-hmm. you know stuff like that but that's my mom that's she's gonna she's gonna check she's gonna check you when you walk into her house no matter who you are so but um but yeah it was it was kind of uh the, the similar situation there was one police officer though one he grew up with my older my older brothers okay. and um he was cool anytime he'd see us out having fun he'd leave us alone and he'd tell the other police officers leave them alone they're not doing anything you know,
1: how important is it? Do you think to have a good, healthy human relationship with the folks who are authorities where you live?
2: Oh, it's, it, it, I mean, it's paramount. When you think about, when you think about, um, anybody that's in, that's in a, a position of authority, automatically they're going to have a certain, their words are going to carry some weight, right? Because mm-hmm. that's how we're socially engineered to believe people of authority, right? That mm-hmm. they're right. You know, when, uh, when they, when they give their opinion on something or if they do something wrong, they get a presumption of innocence. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're all supposed to, we're all supposed to make a thousand excuses for them. So I think, um, having a good relationship with, with, uh, those who are in authority, if you don't have that, you don't have a, you don't have a society, you know, you have to have that good understanding, which growing up for me, teachers, teachers all always, you know, uh, except for my art teacher, Mr. Andrews, um, but the rest of the teachers, they are, they, uh, have preconceived notions about me, uh, every, as soon as I walked into their classroom. And, uh, it, it affected me deeply, you know, for two reasons. One is I'm, there are these preconceived notions and they're just negative.
0: Mm-hmm. So that
2: already hurts. And two, since they're, since, since they're, they're a figure of authority, how can I respond to that? You know, in my mind, we're, we're not on equal footing. Now, I now I see things differently. We are on equal footing just because you have on a badge or just because you're a teacher means nothing. Right? Or, right is right and wrong is wrong. But gro- but growing up, that affected me deeply because I felt powerless. Well, there's also situations. the
1: added dynamic of the authorities. Also, the adult and you are the child.
2: But yeah, absolutely. But even now, mm-hmm. you might like, uh, for instance, when I when um, when I go teach, sure. Um, I, I also teach at SBA. Um, those those students. When I talk, they're already assuming that what I say is gospel. (laughs) And the first thing I tell them at the beginning of class, I say, I am a student just like you. I'm learning something else somewhere else while you're learning this from me. So we're the same. There's no there's no hierarchy here. You know, and and they immediately get calm. They say, Wow, I, I never heard a teacher talk like that before. I said, Well I said, if you teach me something in that moment you're the teacher, I'm the student. So let's not let's 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 get rid of all that, and let's just be let's just be human beings trying to help each other become better.
1: My my favorite exercise for role reversal, and it was on a father son relationship, but it's applicable elsewhere. I was out in New Zealand, and I, I may have told you this story before, but for the audience, I don't think they've heard it. I was out in New Zealand, uh, in Auckland, and we went to one of the islands not too far. And there's a fellow Maori who had left his tribe, gone off to do his own thing, didn't want to be involved in the family politics, ended up becoming a jeweler had a son who was about five, who drove him crazy. And one day he invented this game. He said, okay, you're the dad, I'm the son. What do you do? And the son immediately starts bossing around. Do this, do this, do that. And his reply is, no, 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 I don't want to. Why? And his son looks at him and goes, I don't want to play this anymore, I'm bored. (laughs) I'm tired of all the work you have to do for me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And that's, that's, that's actually a perfect, uh, that's a perfect, uh, role reversal right there. Actually, that's a good exercise. I should have, I should have did that on my son.
1: (laughs) But it's a, it's that moment of the realization of, wait, you the human experiences I have are analogous to human experiences you have. It's just really easy for me to not see them.
2: Yeah. And, and, um, and so I think going back with, you know, dealing with figures of authority, um, a lot of, and I think here's the reason I think why we have such, um, such a chasm between subordinates and people of authority is because a lot of times there's no, there's no transparency when it comes to people of authority and there's no accountability. Mm. So those two things, you cannot, you cannot have a responsible person in a position of authority without those two things. You just can't. Because when you have, when you're able to shield what you want to shield from us and you're not held accountable, that is a breeding ground for corruption. Period. In any institution.
1: This week on Myopia, defend your childhood.
2: Myopia Defender Childhood is so named because I believe we are short-sighted on the things we watched as kids. So every week we watch a movie that one of the panelists grew up watching and see if they hold up from comedy to cartoons or to action. And for this season, the last Thursday of each month, we're doing a TV show in our Myopia morning segments. We watch Saturday morning cartoons and afternoon classics. So find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. How will you stand when we put your past on trial? Life of you Childhood is a member of the ESO Network and produced by Dude Letter Podcasting.
1: I want to touch this on two levels. When you first went to your school and you had those teachers who had presumptions of you, which one, mm? which one st- stood out to you as the most painful, as the most stark, just the, I don't know if I can reach an understanding with this person at all or
2: they'll never oh. care to. I got, I got the perfect one for you. Okay. Th- and this is hilarious. This is kind of strange. So, my art teacher, Mr. Andrews, that's the guy that basically was the reason that I'm alive today, <laughs> right? right? And the person that, tr- the teacher that treated me the worst ever in my life, and I'll never forget it, was his wife. Really? Yeah. And she was an English teacher in junior high,
0: hmm.
2: right? Mr. Andrews was a high school uh, art teacher. So, when I was in junior high, and I didn't know that they were uh, married. I had no idea, right? Because teachers don't exist way, outside I, of school. Exactly. So yeah. I learned this way later. Well, I learned this from him because he, again, he was transparent with me mm. with about his life and his struggles. So that, so I felt that kind of connection. That it wasn't teacher-study more. It was like this is a mentor of mine. This is somebody that's going to be walking through life with me. You mm. know. So I found out way later that they were that they were married. But um, he, uh, she, something came up missing in class, right? And mind you, when I'm in the singers class, I listen, I participate, I do my homework I'm, the whole nine, you know. So somebody came up missing in class, something off of her desk or whatever, and uh, she didn't know who took it. Um, so she does when she does roll every morning, somebody takes the roll paper to you know to the to the uh, principal, you know, to the office, the
0: mm-hmm. administrative
2: office. So that day she asked me to do it, and when I was gone, she had somebody look through my bag. Oh, yeah. Oh. And ask asked me how many black kids were in that class.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Damn. And and what's weird and and what's weird is, I we've never had an issue. I was always attentive in class. I didn't I didn't uh, speak out of turn. I raised my hand. I did my homework. I used to um. So back in the day, when I would just draw everything, I would draw all the time because that's my that's where I started my career drawing. My mm-hmm. my brother taught me. Um, my brother taught me how to draw when I was like two. Oh wow. So. So, um, yeah. So I would draw stuff for her and whatnot, and I was like, I, I didn't understand why she thought I took it.
1: So this was this I was a real sense I of betrayal.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I can I can remember vividly how the classroom looked, where she sat, where I was. I remember the kid walking up to me after class saying, um, "Hey Dre, uh, you know, such a, the teacher Mrs. Andrews asked me to go through your bag. I didn't want to, but she's the teacher. Yada yada yada." You know, I just want to let you know. And I'm, I'm assuming that he told me because he saw how much I thought she was on my side. You know, how much she, she how much she respected me as a, as a, a good student, as a student <laughs> that was working hard. I was like, wow. OK, so this is where my, and my mother told me about these things that would happen in life. Really? You know, she said she said sometimes the skin that you're in is considered a sin. And so, and she said, "This is the kind of stuff that will happen in your life." It's so fascinating. Go ahead.
1: It's just—it's so fascinating that you are both the—you are the—you are the criminal in the mind of the teacher, but in the mind of your peers, you are the esteemed to the person who is accusing you of a crime, de facto.
2: Yeah, exactly. And again, since since uh, we we can't have any accountability, right? There's no transparency. And since there's such a chasm, there's such a hierarchy between the teacher and the student there was nothing I could do well, and the, so and so i is, didn't tell my I didn't tell my mother about it I didn't tell the principal nobody
1: The irony is there, there is blatant transparency, but it is not the things you would expect to be so apparent. The racism is exactly. right there it's impossible to ignore absolutely, but the willingness to address or think or talk about it, even the students are aware of okay i i can't I can't confront the teacher doing this, but I feel like the, the teacher made us do a bad thing. But you are in better esteem to her, so maybe you can take this up to her instead of us.
2: Yeah, exactly. And 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 uh, well, when the when the student told me it was after class, and he he pulled me to the side and said, "Hey, Trey, you know this is this is what happened in class, yada yada," and he made sure that nobody else was around, letting me know that he was scared and terrified to even say anything to anybody else other than me. But,
1: but what know? a what a microcosm though.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, and, and in that microcosm, that was, that, that showed me a little glimpse of what I was going to deal with as I, as I, you know, as I aged and progressed and went through school and, and dealt with, you know, authority and dealt with police. And, you know, basically what my mother told me was true. And that is no matter where you go in this country, the first thing you're going to be is a black man,
0: mm. that's
2: the first thing you're going to be. Even if people say that, that, a uh, that um that scapegoating term i don't see color which to me which to me is just saying i'm privileged enough not to see color you know or the so equally the
1: problematic one of, you know you speak really well
2: yeah exactly i've gotten that too you know i've got um, I've gotten all this stuff but sure. but yeah it was that was the first one that was blatant basically from from mm-hmm. it from a, from a, a person in authority that was the first blatant one i've had i've had kids that i've had to deal with you know when it came to racism but i i put that in the category bigotry bigotry and racism are two very different things so that was like uh the first blatant uh that was the first situation of blatant racism i had to deal with and i and i said so this is going to be what i have to face when i'm when i'm walking through life trying to succeed in my endeavors I, this is the kind of thing that's going to be in my way
1: the, the Frankel interview conversation earlier, one of the things notes he ends on is what happens if we talk if we presume worth or unworth, and if and when society assigns that value without actually bothering to explore the, the true inherent worth of a human being, if they just say, "This is what you can do or mean for us, and that's all we're gonna, that's as far as we're going to consider you. Mm-hmm. That's as far and- as we need to consider you to do with you and put you where we need you to go.
2: And I think that actually, uh, that kind of, uh, mindset is why, uh, for instance, when I was working at DreamWorks, the interns that would come in, mm. I treated them as regular employees. You know, I <laughs> said, I don't look at you as an intern. You're, you're, you're in the same place I am. So to me, you're not this, you're not this lowly pissant, you know, that, that's here trying to get a, trying to uh, get a foot into the industry. I don't look at you like that. Mm. I, you're a fellow employee. That's it. You know? And and I've and I've always been that when if you're next to me, if you're next to me, I'm gonna sacrifice you and I expect you to do the same for me. And that's it. And if you can't if you can't hold up to that task, then that's something you gotta deal with within yourself.
1: I wanna delve more into this line you said exists between racism and bigotry. I know I think it also ties into one of our earlier conversations you said about the the traps that exist in society. Mm-hmm. Both conceptual and actual Physical or financial, the the things that people don't even consider the actual expression of the bigotry or racism or the enactment of it.
2: Hmm. Well, I, well, first off, bigotry is bigotry is it's a problem, but it's not it's not even in the same vicinity as as racism or institutional racism. So bigotry is just hating somebody for their ethnicity. That's it. You know, mm-hmm. um, saying that you know. I don't like this person because they're black or I don't like this person because they're Italian. You know, that, that's nothing. Racism is different. Racism is the actual, the actual, um, the extensive definition of racism is one group using institutional power, whether it be judicial, whether it be economic, um, whether it be, um, you know, in the job industry, using their power to create another reality for another group of people.
0: Hmm.
2: That's racism. So, so me and you could be walking down the street and we're actually in two different worlds, but we're in the same place, right? So I walk into a bank, they're not looking at you as, as a suspect, they're looking at me as a suspect. So in that bank, in that environment, certain procedures are gonna happen different for you than me and they're gonna happen at the same time, in the same space. That's racism.
1: I had a moment yesterday as I was driving back, late at night I was tired, there was a police car parked in a way that was inconvenient for me to get to my spot. I managed to move around it. And I had this brief flicker of a thought of, you know, I could complain about that because that's not a spot. He's not supposed to be there. I know he's doing security. But I could also not mm-hmm. complain about and just let the guy go cause, or the woman go because, you know, it's Thanksgiving and a nuisance is not something worth a fight. But then I thought about it more and said, even if I were to complain, the consequences to me wouldn't be so bad. I might annoy a police officer, but I'm white.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I mean, if you look at... a uh If you look at the differences in, in situations, if you want to like talk about, uh, police and, and their relationship with the black community, um, just recently two, uh, black men got, got killed by the police. One was an actual security guard at a nightclub.
0: Mm.
2: He had a license to carry. He stopped a gunman that came in to kill people at the club. He stopped this man, had him on the ground waiting for the police officers to get there. Police officers get there, they shoot him dead. Even though the people in the nightclub are saying he's security, this guy is security. They just open fire and kill this man. And and one happened. Uh, one happened this morning too. A military, a military police officer, was just gunned down at a mall by the police. Both black. Now, now we look at. Now we look at the shooter that that went in, and opened fire at the synagogue Pittsburgh a yeah. couple of weeks ago, right? He he shot. I think it was what was it? Uh, nine people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he killed nine people and I think he killed two officers as well. Mm -hmm. Not a scratch on that man. He got arrested with no incident. They didn't rough him up. They didn't, they didn't beat him down. They didn't kill him. How is that possible? And that's what I mean. That's racism. We're living in the same space, but it's two different worlds happening simultaneously. And that's, that's what's the problem that, that like bigotry. I'm not worried about that. That's if you want to, if you want to call me some type of racial epithet and I could call you racist, that's nothing. I can't, you'll you you you'll get a loan at a lower interest rate than I will. You'll get a business loan at a at a lower interest rate than I will. Uh, employment for you comes easier. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be college educated to get the same job that you can get by being a high school dropout.
1: And you may need that's, to change the spelling of your name.
2: Exactly. So be- that's, they, Before they even see a picture
1: racist. of you, they can just see how your name is spelled and go, and this is... This is research from even 14, 15 years ago. Piercings, tattoos, Absolutely. spellings of names. If, you, mm-hmm. if your name sounded ethnic in some variety.
2: Right, exactly. And so this is, this is why it's very, a lot of people think racism is, you know, calling somebody a racial epithet. I said so that is not racist, that's bigotry. And that's not the prop. The problem is, is these various institutions that were put in place by design. This wasn't an accident. This was all by design, put in place years ago. You know, when um when the first slave ship came over here, 1619, these institutions were put into place. The only thing that's been changing are the are the names of the institutions, right? We don't use the N word anymore. Now we use Negro, and then after Negro it became Thug. You know, so and uh, and before it used to be vagrant. You know, vagrant had a racial component to it. Vagrant All the
1: this- 90s it was super predator.
2: Yeah, all these things all these things have, have racial components uh within within them in the coded language. This is the dangerous stuff that uh that needs to be removed, which is it's a it's a it's gonna be it's a tall order to, to cure this country that stuff. But as Tim Wise said, um which I love listening to Tim Wise talk, he says that um he says that for racism to really end it has to be it has to be understood that it's a sickness that has that that has uh, a has infected white America. Everybody else is victims of it, but they're the ones with the sickness. And this is racism, not bigotry, bigotry. Everybody, everybody has that. And prejudice, everybody has that. Hmm. Racism though, is specifically a sickness of white America that needs to be addressed then. And, and it needs to be addressed because it's also hurting uh, white America as well. It's hurting white people too. You look at the people, you look at the coal miners in Virginia when, um, when you know trump said that he was going to bring back coal which is a lie (laughs) it's not going to come back because technology moves forward it doesn't move back evolution moves forward but when a when a um, software company tried to go down to virginia and teach the coal miners code Mm -hmm. to then retrain them to do other jobs they were going to teach them for free i think only two coal miners did it the rest of them really believed that this guy is going to bring coal back And, and it's like no your 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 whiteness is not is not a permission to turn back the hands of time to turn back evolution, but to them it is
1: well, it's also it's part of the rhetoric we see now where you have a lot of white folks, particularly in middle America who are suffering from crippling poverty and they go where's my yeah. privilege
2: exactly and that' and that's why tim white says it's it's not just dangerous you know we're 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 dealing with we're we're victimized by racism in one way and then white people are victimized by it in another way, and that is White America is not advancing as fast as when you look at who's opening up more businesses. The black community is opening up more businesses than any other other, uh, demographic right now. You know, the highest educated people here right now are Nigerians.
1: I will never forget in high school applying for student loans to college. And my family had some money, but we were in pretty tight straits for a long time there. And I looked at the categories of minority. And I casually asked, well, that's odd. Jew isn't on there. And someone equally casually replied, well, said, that's because you guys are rich. They weren't well, saying think, me specifically. He's like, well, you know, Jews have the money. And I just right. kind of sat there going, I wish. <laughs> I know them.
2: I know <laughs> well, those I that think, do. <laughs> I think definitely. I think, I think what uh, there's a, one of my coworkers, he's Jewish, and we talk about this a lot. And I said, "One one thing that I respect about the Jewish community is after the Holocaust, after all that, all that mayhem that went down that was set upon them. What did they do? They closed ranks and just started working together and stayed quiet and and built up their neighborhoods and built up their communities. Well, I think, you know, and, and, and I think the, the, the reason they were able to do that so clandestine is because they were able to change their names, right? Mm -hmm. Stanley Lever became Stan Lee.
1: If you look at right. the early Reform temple movement, say go to Temple Emmanuel in New York City, it is designed deliberately and intentionally to look like a cathedral. The services there run like a Catholic Church.
2: There you go. so, so, so I, res- I respect the Jewish community uh, was able to, was able to use was, was able to use their shade of skin as a weapon against racism. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't have that though.
1: Well, we no. And, then, and it, and oh, it only goes that. so far. Like you go to Israel, if you're a non white Jew, your life is difficult there,
2: which is, Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. It, it's different. Yeah. It's different as you go across the globe. There's yep. going to be different places. Um Certain parts of Africa, I think it was back in uh, the late nineties. I think it was certain parts of Africa. They were advising white people not to travel there, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh but, um, you're right that in certain areas there are certain demographics uh, or certain people from different ethnicities that will deal with like different forms of strife and different forms of disenfranchisement and things like that. So it's definitely it's definitely weird on where you can go and how you have to be in certain areas of the world. But one thing that a Jewish person, depending on depending on how you look your shade, you can always hide. You know, you can change your name. You, you know, you
1: can to a point. And this is where I find. Racism, it manifests in different ways depending on which particular group is the the victim you're talking about. Among the Jews, I find it's highly cyclical. When everything is going financially and politically well in a country, we can hide. Yeah. When we hit the point now where most of the Holocaust survivors have died, where it's now just a thing in movies and books and pop culture, where you don't per se know anyone who was a survivor, where that tattoo of numbers doesn't have any significant meaning to you or to your family, then it's easier to go, well, maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe fascism had some good idea. It's easier for Nazism to creep back in and for Jews to start looking like the manipulators behind the scenes again. All those very old tropes. And
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think those old those old myths because you know, black folks there's been some myths placed on our on our ethnicity as well. Oh sure. I think I think for 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 me, I don't that type of stuff I don't focus on because there's always gonna be somebody out there in the shadows, you know, um trying to spread this 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 these weird uh um how can you call them? these were stories to like scare people, right? Uh, but if you this and this is this is my personal opinion. The way you fight that is economic power, hmm. and that's what the Jewish community did. Built up their communities, and I would I would assume talking to you know my coworker uh, about all this stuff. The, the Jewish communities are still staying strong. They're making sure to keep building. Their community and keep their community it strong. it
1: goes back to the politics. It's one. Th- it is one thing when it is just the lunatic on the fringes saying, "Death to Israel, Jews have horns, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera, the Council of Zion. It's another thing when those people are the folks making policy.
2: And oh yeah, a- absolutely. And, that, and that, that's why I think that's why I think there is no there is no kumbaya approach. In my opinion, my opinion is that, like for the black community, we need number one economic power you know, of our own, we need our own economic power, we need our own political party. And we also need to, we also need to help Africa, our, our homeland, where we came from, we need to make sure that that's, uh, economically healthy as well.
1: Do you, when you say own political parties, that, do you feel appropriated by both parties?
2: Yeah, I don't even consider myself in a party. Uh-huh. I don't consider myself a Republican, Democrat. No, none, none of those, none of those, and there was this there's this weird myth that, you know, the Republicans used to be used to be for um, for equality. And then and then it flipped in the 70s and it became the Democrats that were um, that were about equality. Right. And, and that's not necessarily the case. The case was that they were about both parties. Both parties did. It did flip. But in in that whole in that turmoil between the two parties, black folks were never considered. Never, ever. You never heard. You never heard of any policy that was that was that was brought up in any political discussion that said this is to, this is to counterbalance what happened to black folks over here. It was, they would say minorities, they would say people of color, which is all code words to then push at once that once the policy is implemented, then they push out the black people. Cause any, if you go back in history and look at any of those policies that were when, uh, when the slaves were freed, when the slaves were so-called free, there mm-hmm. were things in place to further, to, to then further disenfranchise the now freed slaves. And then in the civil rights movement, when the civil rights movement was taking place and policies were put in place, say for, say voter, um, voter rights, when, when, uh, when black folks got voter rights, um, then when we would try to vote, we would get lynched. And then the people that were lynching us would not go to prison. So there's, there was, it was never, neither party ever, Ever I think looked out for
1: if, you want, if you want an idea of how I think the U.S. government works at its worst, I think you can just look at the simple example of when lynching was first presented as something that should be banned constitutionally, and that decision was not approved by the government. And yeah, you exactly. have to sit back and think, wait a minute, our, our, our highest legislative offices were given the opportunity to federally criminalize lynching. And we looked and said, you know, that might annoy too many of our constituents, exactly, or and, and too many of the wrong constituents.
2: Yeah, and and that's why, and that's why, for me, when it comes to you know, when you talk about institutional racism and when you talk about the disenfranchisement of people of color, the only people that are still in 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 discussion about all this stuff is white America. We're not. We're, we know that all this stuff is wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Like black folks, brown folks, we know this. We so it's white America that that is still back in the 1800s when the Civil War t- when, when the Civil War took place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, white America is still fifty fifty on what's right and wrong when it comes to things about racism and stuff. And that's the to me that's the that's the issue, and that issue, as Tim Wise would say, that issue has to be dealt with in white America well, only. I think like we can't of, we can't deal with it.
1: Part of what we're witnessing, if we're talking academically. Is that we finally hit the point where identity politics have reached white America?
2: Yeah, and I, and you know it's funny. I, I say there's a saying I, I have about any situation that is you can sweep the dirt under the rug for so only for so long until the dirt ends up all over the house. <laughs> yes, you know the rug can only hold so much, and that's you're you're exactly right. Now the America, the real America, the actual the actual thing that exists. It's racist and misogynistic and it's um, and it's uh, ambivalent, you know, and it's, it's it's greedy. That America is now facing the new America. This new America is about equality for everybody. It's about equity for those that have been wronged. It's about fairness between between both genders. Th- that America is now clashing with the America that actually exists. And we're going to see which one wins.
0: Hey, this is Mike. A few months back, I was given the assignment of creating a new promo for the Earth Station One podcast. I figured I had a ton of time, but I kind of got distracted. Go figure. And we realized we had somehow missed our deadline. Hi, so... Here I am late at night trying to figure out something creative to get you to listen to our show. I guess I could just use my announcer voice. Listen to the Earth Station One podcast. For almost nine years, we've been bringing your inner geek out to play. We're a founding member of the ESO Network, and you can find us up on most media players like iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever fine podcasts are found. I think that might work.
1: The, that The latter is the promise ostensibly the founding fathers were aiming for, this idea that we're going to make a place that's better than the one we left. We're going to aim higher than where we know man is at in the hopes that he will fall down to where he could
2: be. But at the same time, when they when those people came over here and they said, we want to make a place better than what we left, it was only going to be a place better for white men.
1: Well, yes, because when they said man, they had a very narrow definition of who fit that.
2: Exactly. and And I think that America... That America has always existed. We've always been that. Now, we've had situations where, you know, when 9-11 happened, people came together and helped each other, you know, in that crisis. But it shouldn't take buildings falling down in a city, right, for, for people to start coming together and helping each other. It shouldn't take that, right? I, I listened to does, I listened to there, a comedian. A, a,
1: no, it's... It, it's salient because I listened to a comedian who has been saying for a year and a half, we are headed toward a fascist government. If we let things continue and people going, well, you're just crying wolf. You're just crying Hitler. And his final response is, what is it going to take? Do you have to have people gassed before you finally see the pattern repeating itself?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, it's true. Like what, how, and it's, it's funny. You said, you said that because a friend of mine, we had, me and a friend of mine had a discussion about what happened with, with uh, the election of Trump. And he said he, he blames Hillary not running a good campaign, yada, yada, yada. Sure. And I said, I said, no. I said, I said, this happened because of what happened in the 60s. And he said, what happened in the 60s? I said, nothing. You all sat there at the table with your racist cousins, uncles and aunts, and you let that shit slide. That's what brought, if Trump didn't see, if there was not an environment that Trump could take advantage of, he wouldn't have gotten office. And that, that environment was allowed to exist because people like my, my friend Derek, he, he's white. He's from Ohio. He mm-hmm. has a lot of racist, he has a lot of racist relatives. I said, you didn't disown your family. You didn't punish them for that kind of behavior and, and, and that kind of thinking. You didn't punish them back then.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You didn't take care of it then. That's why Trump is in office. It has nothing to do with Hillary running a bad campaign. The fact that people responded to, to Trump. And and supported that says what America is. And America is what it's always been. Still the same thing that the, the, the founding fathers I call I call them the founding tyrants because that's what they were. They were slave owners. I can't I can't call somebody a father. I wouldn't call my father, you know, father if he if he mistreated me bad enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, when, when they when they wrote the constitution and women were not to be considered they couldn't they couldn't vote, they couldn't own land, and then and black people were three fifths of a human. That America still exists. We just have now. It's just it's just different coded language. Yes, yeah, some people have you know you got you have people of color that have jobs, but you if you look at the very top of America, who runs America? It's still very white. It's still very male. Still to this day.
1: So when you're working with diverse students and when you're teaching, you obviously are sitting down with students and presenting them with these challenges, with these difficulties, with the reality of what they're going to graduate into. How do you Mm -hmm. move from all of that, from this idea of disenfranchisement, of no power, of not enough power, to what we can do, what we should do, what we can actually accomplish now?
2: Um, Well, first off, we we actually discussed this at one of the panels, and I said the first thing, um, you know, I was talking to the audience, I said the first thing everybody here needs to do is you need to decide if you're willing to lose for for your ethics. If you're not willing to lose for your ethics... Then just sit in the chair, have you know, do your do your work, have fun at the job, you know, get your credits in movies and stuff and, you know, have, have a good career. You know, have fun. Cool. I said, but if you are willing to lose, then it's going to be a lot of, it's going to be a lot of uncomfortable situations. It's going to be a lot of times you're going to speak up and you're going to be the only one in the room speaking up. The people that claim they're your friends all of a sudden are silent, you know. They're in the they're in the they're in the back of the room not saying anything trying and then and then when the meeting is over then they come to you and say how much they support you I said these are the things you have to first you have to accept that this is how it's going to be uh, if you decide if you decide to make change second I said you need to just educate yourself on what's needed like for instance I believe that you know like I said before economic power. Is the only is the only thing that will really combat this because if you don't have if you don't have um, if you don't have the same tools that the oppressor has, how are you going to you know um, knock the oppressor off the throne, basically, for lack of a better term? Um, so I think edu- it, it starts with education. Knowing, like me, knowing knowing the fact that I'm going to have a harder time getting a job uh, as a white man, I could have more education. Than than my white counterpart, and it's still hard for me to get a job. That just means I need to be I need to have even more education. I need to be even sharper. I need to be even better, right? And that's fine if that's what it takes and that's what it takes. So then just do that. Um, so I think first thing is the acceptance of how it's going to be. Um, the second thing is education, and I think the third thing is that you have to put money into your own communities, you know, and 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 also inspire those that that want to be allies to the to the to you know reach inequality in America uh, talking about them spending money you know in our communities same thing it's basically the same stuff that the Jewish community did and it worked out well for the Jewish community right
1: honestly it's i used to work with the women's market in new york life and i used to write for the glass hammer it's the 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 methods don't change by and large it's still paths to success support mentorship reinvestment continuation giving people the education and the resources they need i do want to ask you though you said the the first part of any fight of any ethical fight is being willing to lose what matters to you
2: yeah absolutely
1: what have you lost so far
2: um well i went to i went to prison behind my ethics and i almost lost my life i almost got 25 to life why so um a friend of mine a white guy he, we're still we're still um that's still my ace to this day um he uh some some white dudes said that he shouldn't be hanging around me because I'm black, and he better stop hanging around me or else blah blah blah. Mm. Make a make a long story short, best defense is a good offense, and uh, <laughs> hey, you know, I, but that's he that's my that's my people, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I rode I rode for him, and he rode for me. Um, so yeah, I lost a, I I almost lost my life, you know. But but I wouldn't change it because again, it's all about it's all about where do you stand in life? That's all you have. I don't have, I'm sitting right now at home, surrounded by my studio, right? One fire can take all this stuff away from me.
0: Hmm.
2: It could be gone, right? All my files that I've created over the years, um, my music, my 3D stuff, my pictures of, of the various events, I, it could be all gone. All you have is the square you stand on that's all you have. And I think people get blinded when they get a nice car, they get a nice home, they start thinking that you have you don't have that stuff. That can that could be gone in one fell swoop, right? One hurricane, one earthquake, one fire, somebody breaks in and arson, doesn't matter, it could be gone. All you have is your square. So, for me, this I mean, I like the way I live. it's it's it's, it's beautiful, but I contrast it with Anything is more beautiful than the cell that I was in, right? Mm. For the for the two years, eight months I was in there, anything is better than that than than being in that cell. And even in there, I stood on my square, you know. Even in there, the politics, because there's there's prison politics as well as, you know, you got politics out here in the real world. There's prison politics as well. I I stood on my square in there too. We could, and I said this, and I said this is me, and I'm not changing. And you, if anybody has a problem with that, we can take care of it.
1: We could, and we probably should, with the rest of the panel too, do a further episode on prison recidivism and how it trains people to come back.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. We can do that. I can give you some. I can give you some anecdotal stuff and some some data driven stuff as well.
1: No, it's a it's a it's a horrifying combination, particularly as it's become a privatized industry. Just a absolutely,
2: absolutely.
1: But I, because of what you said, I am curious. Have you ever read the Sufi poet Rumi, Jaludin Rumi?
2: Because mm-hmm. I haven't read that.
1: A lot of what he talks about is the self-annihilation as you learn to finally accept what you actually have, and a lot of his poetry is on about you know, like with the you know vanity of vanities in Ecclesiastes, the idea that once you take everything else away, what in actuality is left of you? What matters?
2: Exactly. Exactly. And and I, and and for me, so where I come from, I can still go back there, and my people over there respect me. And then when I go to work at Blue Sky, my, my co-workers respect me. When I go to Diverse Tunes and I'm on a panel, my fellow panelists, they respect me. To me, that's real. Everything else is... I, I tell people all the time, my career is a dream. It's not real because it can be taken away from me. Hmm. Right? I, you can They can fire me whenever they want. You know, it, it's not my company. That will and employment, even if, yeah. Yeah, and, if, and even if it was my company... My company could, I could have a string of bad movies, and I could declare bankruptcy, and it's gone. It's all a dream, you know. And I loved it. I, I'm, I'm fortunate to be living this dream. I and I and I'm blessed, and I'm thankful for it. But I know that it can end at any time, and I have no control over that. What I do have control over is I'm not going to be, I'm not going to stand next to bullshit just to have that dream, or just to have that 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 job. I'm not doing that. I, I can't, I can't do that. So I think that's if you're willing to lose, then you can you can definitely be an effective warrior in, in, in the in the fight for change. But if you're not willing to lose, you know, depending on and and it's different for everybody, right? Some people can only go so far, you know? And and I think people need to uh just realize that. Find out how far you're willing to go and let that and let that be it. And and try to stay and try to stay in, in those parameters. Me personally, I've almost I almost got fired at DreamWorks like four times. <laughs> you know? And it, and I and I almost got uh was it, fired was here it once.
1: Different reason each time or the same reason?
2: Different reasons. One reason was um one reason was um I got into it with a with a coworker and he threatened me and uh I was I was gonna put hands on him. <laughs> so okay. he, he he advanced towards me and the whole thing started with him talking bad on one of our coworkers and he was acting very unprofessional. Um, and, uh, and so I, I talked to him about it and he lunged at me and so it was going to happen there. Another time a friend of mine got sexually harassed Hmm. and, um, I asked her, how do you want to handle it? I'm ready to go. What do you need? And she says, well, I don't want you to get involved. I said, no, 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 you're, you're a good friend of mine. What, What do we need to do here? And, um, she eventually went to HR, but I told her that I would go to HR with her if she needed and uh, me and another coworker of mine we were actually going to it's been long enough um, when we were at the Mega Mind rap party we were going to put hands on that guy too <laughs> for for putting his hands on our friend oh, yeah. so it's, it's those kind of things yeah. you know you, either you're going to either you're willing to fight or you're not you know and then when my when my girlfriend who's still my lady right now um, when she got set up to be fired from from um from pediatric works cuz she was working there with me mm-hmm when she got fired and she was wrongfully terminated and, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't bite my tongue. I told everybody what happened, the truth about it. And, and, uh, that was, you know, that, that kind of put me in a precarious situation as well. But uh, again, this is not my job anyway. I'm just here as long as you allow me to be here.
1: In each of those instances, why ultimately do you think they didn't fire you?
2: Um, oh, it, it goes, it goes back to, it goes back to people, people embraced me and, and protected me. Every time there was somebody, there was somebody there that says, Andre's, "Andre's in the right here. He's not. He's not. Um. This isn't frivolous things he's talking about here. This is serious stuff. And Andre's a man. And you know, Andre is a is a man of respect. And that's why he's uh. And that's why he's taking the stance he's taking. And if those people weren't there, I would have been done. Especially um, especially the situation where I almost got into a physical altercation with that gentleman. The the head of the studio at the time, when when they heard about this, the head of the studio said, "What did such and such do to Andre? Because Andre wouldn't act like that." Mm. The head of the studio said that about me, which shocked me. That shocked me. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, really?" <laughs> so you're
1: so acclimated to the presumption of guilt.
2: Well, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a large black man and I'm outspoken. So you and and the person that was at a studio was a white woman. So I'm thinking, you know, she's. She's probably going to think that we're just, we're just prone to violence, right? Which is what has been taught in, in the whole of society for the last 400 years. That's what's been taught about us.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But, yeah, when she, said, when she said, what did such and such do to Andre? Because Andre wouldn't act like that. That guy had to, had to have done something to Andre first. I said, wow, people, you know, people actually support me. That's, that's cool, you know? But, uh, but yeah, in, in those situations, I try not to think about what I can lose. I just think about, I think about the one thing that I have that can't be taken away. I have to give it away. And that's, and that's my square where I stand. You can't take that. I have to give it away. I'm not giving that away at all.
1: So that's all for tonight. If you like what you hear and you want to show your support, born, you can subscribe to us at patreon.com slash Dyer. That's with a Y, for a dollar or more. There are all kinds of rewards, including access to our online workshop and Discord. Of course, if you have a story of your own that you'd like to share, or have us revise, you can write to us at last, and tires. See you all next time.